All information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. You should consider the appropriateness of this information with regards to your individual objectives, financial situation and needs. Welcome to Sharing More Than The Sheets, a podcast to help you and your partner make better financial and lifestyle decisions so that you can both focus on the things that you love. I'm your host, Michael Curry, financial planner, green thumb, husband, and just dad. Hello, and thank you for joining us again on Sharing More Than The Sheets. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Jono, that I've known for quite a while that works in the lending space. Jono, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So um, if we can just start off with, I'll start off by explaining why I've invited you um, to come onto this uh, episode with me. Yeah. And after that, if you can tell us a bit about yourself, just so that people sort of know what you do, how you work, um, and I guess what your passions are, um, yeah. your the topics that you love working with the most when it comes to uh, lending and broking. Yeah. As a financial advisor, we have clients come to us regularly looking to purchase a property. Um, and we're, normally, we are the first point of contact if we yeah. have someone that we're assisting with their finances and they'll come to us saying, Mark, we want to buy a house. And sometimes that could be a goal the first time we meet someone. Yeah. Um, or sometimes it could be something that sort of de- develops over time. And, and half of the issue sometimes when someone comes to me wanting to purchase a property um, is A, you know, they have certain perceptions about buying a house, mm-hmm. which sometimes could be wrong. Um, or secondly, they sort of just don't know what to actually expect. So, John, if you can start off by telling us a bit about yourself, uh, and then I think we'll just dive straight into it. Yeah, no problem. So, um, I ha- uh, have been a home lender for NAB uh, for about three years. After that, I've come to Aussie Home Loans where I've had four years experience as a mortgage broker. If I was to compare the two, I would definitely say using a mortgage broker has better benefits for customers. Uh, the reason being people used to come into us at the bank, um, used to you know, give us their scenario and say, hey, can you go ahead and get me this loan? We would put the loan into the system and because of that bank's policies at the time, if they didn't work, let's say for NAB, it didn't work in NAB policy or framework, we would yep. send them out on the street. But now we have a different model altogether using a mortgage broker where someone will come into you, they will give you their scenario, and you have a multitude of lenders that you can use to get someone their goal. So that's the reason I entered into the field. And ever since doing that, I've found that you know uh, business has been good. Um, and and the whole industry uh, has been changing from people going directly to the bank to going to a mortgage broker. So that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Um, yeah, so that's basically the Yeah, because isn't that interesting that, you know, being at the bank before, you would, I guess it, it would be difficult because if, for example, the bank you work at or, I mean, anyone that goes to a bank, if in your situation, for example, when you couldn't help someone, all you had to say is tough luck, see you later. Yeah. Whereas I guess now you probably have other options, I'm assuming, like different lenders that might be able to assist someone if the first lender you looked at can't. Yeah, that's right. So you'd be surprised. You Like I reckon nine times out of 10, I'll have a solution for someone. Someone will come into me with a tough scenario. Like let's face it, these days everyone has something that's going on in their life that, yeah. you know, um, it's not so much, you know, everyone's working nine to five, five days a week. That's not the scenario anymore. There's heaps of self-employed people. 
there's heaps of people taking advantage of certain situations and each bank has a niche where they will specialize in a certain area. So it, it's up to the broker and their experience and knowledge to, to take you to those banks. And I feel like as time has gone on, I've really adapted to find out what banks are doing. And um, usually, uh, you know, you come up with a solution. When the person thought originally this can't be done and then you prove them wrong and you actually get it done, um, that's, you know, that's the biggest achievement in the job I do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And I guess the first point of contact would probably be for someone to go to their bank. And I guess that's where sometimes they can maybe fall into that trap as well of you know sort of not knowing what they don't know. That's correct. So, so that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think uh, a big misconception about people not using a, a mortgage broker sometimes is that they think would it be cheaper for them to go directly to the bank when in yeah. fact it's not. So if you were to use a mortgage broker they have different options available where they can find you a cheaper interest rate and the interest rate you would you will achieve going to a certain lender is exactly the same as if you went to the branch so there's no benefit going directly to the branch it, it actually jeopardizes your chance of getting the mortgage approved if anything and um i guess and also if you could sort of give us some guidance as well as to let's say for example I'm a first home buyer I've never mm-hmm. owned a house before um, I've never considered buying a house but mm-hmm. I'm now in a situation where I'm thinking okay maybe I should buy a house yeah where do I begin is there a deposit someone should have before they see a broker is is, yeah. is, is should they be checking anything what should sort of be the first step yeah okay. the so, so depending on the scenario but yes you would you will need to have a deposit saved up in order to get a property there is another misconception out there that you know, some people are hearing this zero deposit, you know, I don't need a deposit and I can get a home loan. There's some unique policies out there where you can get by with the, with the government incentives going on right now. They're giving you basically the 15,000 first homeowners grant and the $25,000 construction grant. So that is getting people closer to the mark. If you're in Queensland, that is. Correct. That's right. So that's getting people closer to the mark of, of getting their deposit together. But for those people that don't have that option, yes, you will need a deposit. You will need a minimum deposit. But um, let's say you're at the stage where you, you want to start moving into a property. You don't know where to begin. My recommendation is go see a mortgage broker. Um, I know when people come to me, I'll break down my appointments into three areas. The first, I'll work out with them, what are you looking to purchase? And I'll work out how much deposit they need. So we'll break that down for them. They'll understand the uh, the different policies of the different banks as to with their savings, have they come up with that themselves or have they been gifted? So, so when you say policies, just just on that note, what do you mean by that? Is it are you saying that different banks assess people's situations differently? Correct. So so yeah. some banks, let's say for example, um, let's say you were all of a sudden you got a lump sum of funds given to you. The bank generates, if you're borrowing over 90% of the property value, the bank wants to see that you have saved your deposit up for three months. So they want to see for three months, you have saved a minimum of 5% of the property value um, and it's sat in your account. So they call that genuine savings. Now, if you don't have that, the bank will, won't approve the loan for you. But there are some other banks out there that will waive the genuine, uh, genuine savings policy if you have rental, a rental ledger that is paid on time. So for six months, they want to see, have you made your rental ledger repayments? 
And if you can evidence that to the bank, they will waive the genuine savings policy. So there are ways around it. So yes, you still can get past the line, but I think each bank is so unique in what they do. It's not a one policy fits all kind of thing. It's a go see your mortgage broker, see what he has, what he says, and then he'll direct you to the bank, which is best for you. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And um, also when it comes to saving up for a deposit, for example, or even looking at what type of house to purchase and how much to spend on a house. Mm-hmm. Essentially what you're saying is that they, someone should see a broker as soon as possible to get an, an overall picture of the situation because yeah. um, A, to see how much of a deposit they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second part is that a deposit isn't enough, is it? Because there's serviceability that comes into it. Correct. Can you sort of just explain what serviceability is um, just so that people sort of understand it? Yeah, many may know what it actually means, but um, I do have a lot of clients that come to me and they'll sort of have a deposit and say, Michael, we've got a deposit where we're ready to buy a house. And, you know, it's, I put them in touch with them, a broker, someone mm-hmm. that's licensed to give advice on that, because as an advisor, um, I'm not licensed to give advice on credit. Of course. I'll put them in touch with a broker, someone like yourself, for example, <laughs> and then they'll find out about this whole serviceability world. So if you can sort of just explain that as well, yep. just to give people an idea as to what it means and how it can actually impact them buying a house. Yep. So, so like I was saying before, the first part of, um, of an application is working out the deposit. So based on your deposit, we will work out a benchmark of loan amount that you need to be able to afford. So the second part is serviceability, like you said. Um, and the way we would come to this conclusion is um, we would enter in your figures, such as your income, your expenses, and the proposed loan into a calculator. Now, each bank has a different calculator, so they're going to give you a different figure of how much they are willing to let you borrow. Um, so with that, um, entered into the system, it will come up with your borrowing capacity. So the borrowing capacity is the amount you can afford in the bank's eyes. Now, just know each bank has different policies as to how they'll use income. So just know that each bank will be very different. So it is in the broker's best interest to direct you to that bank that is going to look at your situation um, best, if that makes sense. Yep, definitely, definitely. Um, and uh, and on that note as well, when it comes to so, so for example in this situation I've had I mean an example I'll give and this is probably the best way to explain it is just because somebody's earning say a decent income of a hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be fine under serviceability like for example if they're the only income earner and they've got all these debts and eight children and Correct. there's no other income coming through the door. And they've got high living expenses, and you know the, they spend heaps on food or whatever it may be. When all that gets added up, you're saying it can be potentially an issue. Correct, correct. Yeah. So, so, so in the bank size, they have to look at that person's whole situation. So yep. they're going to take into account, you know, let's say you are a single parent. Sorry, you are a, their sole income earner. They will look at you have, let's say, three dependents. You have your wife who's at home looking after the kids. And you've got your two children. So now your one salary is having to cover your wife and your two children. So the living expenses of that family is going to be much higher. So yes, you might earn some good income, but after the bank has looked at the whole situation, it might be a totally different situation um, after they assess it. So again, banks look at things differently. Some banks will look at just the individual who's going for the loan, whereas some some lenders will want to look at the whole situation. So, yeah, again, it's uh, it's best to be directed by the broker 
and uh, going directly to the bank won't help you in that case. It's you know best to see which bank suits you best. Yep, definitely. And and also, let's say someone's approved. Let's say that's it. You know, approvals in um, the bank's willing to give them X amount, which is what they need for a house. Mm-hmm. There then comes the question. I get asked this a lot: is should I go fixed or variable? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and we all know the benefits of fixed, which is peace of mind, knowing that the interest rate's not going to change. Uh, but there also are some disadvantages. If you can sort of just briefly explain the pros and cons, I guess, of going fixed versus variable, and just again, what people should consider. Yeah, so fixed rates are fixed rates are very low at the moment. Um, they're in the low twos. Uh, so the the cons of having a fixed rate, not the cons, but the restrictions are that you you will pay a break cost if you break that fixed rate earlier than the fixed rate term. So if you have a five-year fixed rate and you decide to sell the property after one year, you're going to pay a break cost because you've agreed with the bank that for five years, you will have this loan. So that's yeah. the restrictions of that. Also, with the fixed rate, you can only pay back a certain amount on top of your repayments. So uh, a lot of banks, for example, will allow you to pay back $10,000 extra on top of your minimum repayment per year. So if you're the type of person who wants to pay down this loan as soon as possible, a fixed rate might not be the best product for you. Whereas on the other hand, there's the variable rate. The variable rate uh, changes with interest rate changes. Um, So when the RBA announces a a rate change, you will see your interest rate change with variable. The beauty about variable rates is the flexibility. So you can pay down the mortgage as quick as possible. Um, If you were to win the lotto, let's say, and you paid it out in a week's time, you're going to pay no break cost at all. You can also, uh, it has other options such as an offset account. So that means that, I'll quickly explain what an offset account is. Yeah, please, please. An an offset account is a separate account um, that's that's attached to your loan where if you hold money in that account, it offsets the interest of the loan. So for example, you have a loan of 500,000 and then in your your separate account that you transact out of, you hold 20,000 in that account. The bank will charge you interest only on 480,000 because you hold 20,000 in this other account. So, So this is the variable rate. So variable rates have flexibility. So depending on your appetite and what you're looking to do, different rates will uh, suit you better than other rates um, or, and same with products as well. So some people also like to s- split their loan. So let's say they have a $500,000 loan, they will fix 250000 of that loan and they will uh, leave as variable 250000 as well. So they're getting the best of both worlds here. So these are strategies where you can really maximize your saving and flexibility at the same time. So there are strategies and um, ways to make banking suit you best. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. I think it sounds like the the message, I guess, that people should sort of get out of this is that a everyone's circumstance is completely different um so they should so what works for one person may not work for another um and secondly it probably would be important i could see more and more now why it's important for someone to talk to a broker at the beginning of their process um i mean even if it's just a five minute discussion just to get an idea as to what to expect and what stumbling blocks they may have in the future so they can be proactive and overcome them now instead of 
work so hard to get to a point and then suddenly, oh, I didn't even know about this. Oh, no, we've got to wait another six months to fix this or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, and another thing, if you can sort of briefly just explain all these terms people hear as well when they apply for loans, because you've yeah. got LMI, LVR, which to a lot of people just seems like mumbo jumbo, um, but it really, it isn't that complicated. So if you can sort of just explain them as well and how that how they may impact someone's ability to get like maybe a better interest rate or yeah. to get into the particular product or bank that they want to go for. Yep. Yeah, so I'll start with LMI, which is lender's mortgage insurance. So lender's mortgage insurance is an insurance the bank takes out if you borrow above 80% of the property value. So basically what the bank is doing is they're going to a third party and they're taking out this insurance policy in the case you were to default. So the fact that they're getting this, the fact that um, they're going to a third party, they're going to on put that cost onto you. So that's called lender's mortgage insurance. Now, when you're in, they call it LMI uh, territory, uh, assessment of your loans is usually a little bit more stricter because you're considered a higher risk. And sometimes, depending on the lender, the interest rate that you will get is that little bit higher as well because in the, ba- in the uh, eyes of the bank, you are that higher risk. So that's that terminology. Um, in regards to LVR, so this kind of goes hand in hand with LMI. LVR is loan to value ratio. So the loan to the value of the property ratio. So again, if your loan to value ratio is 90%, it means that you're going to pay lender's mortgage insurance because you're borrowing above that 80% threshold, which the bank prefers you to be at. Does that make sense? Definitely, definitely. And I think that's another misconception that I sometimes see where people assume they need a 20% deposit um, or they find out someone bought a house with a 5% deposit and don't realize the extra costs that may, be, that may come with that. And I'm guessing the higher interest rate as well because I've seen some banks charge higher interest rates because they don't have as much of a deposit. Yes, that's correct. As well. yes. just, uh, I, just, I just had a thought as well. Um, if you can sort of share with us, because you've told me some of these stories over the years, but if you can tell me if you're comfortable sharing a story with our listeners about a situation that you've had or someone that's come to you mm-hmm. where they didn't actually think that you could help them and a sort of sort of where you actually have. Like, for example, personally speaking, mm-hmm. um, this was about five years ago, I met someone that had come across, I think they found us online um, mm-hmm. and they contacted me. Yep. And this lady had seen, I think, seven financial advisors before me yep. and – of those seven, none of them could actually help her. Um, her situation was that she was deep in debt. Um, she was having issues managing her money and things just looked like they were not going to fix themselves. You know, yeah. she was looking at bankruptcy, but then that had its issues because um, she, she was a single mum, and they needed to keep the house that they lived in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't really want to go down that bankruptcy path anyway, um, yeah. emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, Emotionally, you could tell she was distraught and she was just mentally drained. And the advisors she had seen couldn't really help her because I think three or four of them didn't really do budgeting advice. The others that did just explained to her that it was just too hard um, in that, you know, they essentially didn't give her much hope. We met, I explained to her from day one that it wasn't going to be easy, but she had a better chance doing it with an advisor than doing it without an advisor. Um, And six months later, fast forward six months later, she had her debts under control. She had managed to pay out at least half of her debts from memory. Mm-hmm. And 
emotionally, she was in a completely different place. Um, you know, so, and that just shows, you know, it's seeing the right person or seeing somebody that's willing to go that extra mile mm. actually makes a difference because it's not that the other advisors, I don't think were capable of doing what I was able to do, but maybe, maybe they didn't have the time or maybe they just didn't have that motivation that I had because, you know, talking to somebody in that situation, it's, you know, it, it pulls one of your heartstrings because you sort of see that person and you try to do what you can to help them. So is there a situation like that? I mean, it doesn't have to be emotionally based mm-hmm. like this one, but is there a situation where somebody just literally didn't think they could do what they, what you did for them? Basically? Yeah, it happens all the time. Um, I'll use this. I'll use two examples. One was um, a couple came to me and wanted to purchase a property. Uh, they wanted to land and build, and they didn't have the deposit they thought they had then and there on the spot. So they wanted to come up with this strategy to to get to you know the end goal in 12 months time. I've taken them to the different banks, ordered valuations. So what a usual person would do is order one valuation and say, um, you know, this is what it is. This is the equity you have. When you say usual person, you mean usual broker? Sorry, usual broker, yes. So the usual broker will just take you, you know, order one valuation and say, this is what it's come back at. Whereas with myself, I like to have options. I like to exhaust every avenue. So um, I ordered multiple valuations with multiple valuers. One of the valuations came back grossly higher than the rest. So we were able to get them into their first property, sorry, into their second property, their construction within straight away. Instead of having to wait the 12 months um, that they needed to save, we were able to get them into that property straight away because the valuer came to the party and um, valued the property you know, uh, more favorably than the other valuers. So that's one example. Um, that's a very basic example. Another example would be, um, I get people come in all the time and because of the bank's new policies around credit reporting, I get people come in all the time and we do a credit search on them and they'll have a default on file. Um, so that default on file will affect you getting the mortgage. So a default on file, if it's over $500, most banks will decline you then and there on the spot. Um, there's, I've had multiple times where people have come to me and said, um, you know, hopes, they have their hopes up, they want to purchase their property. We go through the whole process and then we discover there's this default there lingering over them. I refer them on to a uh, credit repair agent who I reckon about 60% of the time has been able to remove these defaults from their file. So it will cost them a fee to do so, but it's better that for them to remove that default on their file than for them to have to wait the five years for that default to come off their file. So when you make something like that happen where they thought this is definitely not going to go through, I have a default on my file, you help them and direct them to get to an, a situation where that's removed and then you can take them to the lender. Um, I've had you know people just over the moon that they thought, they would have to go to this third tier lender who's going to charge them 20% interest or something like that, where they've, you know, they've switched it over now. They've paid the thousand dollars or two thousand dollars to remove the default, and now they can go to, to a, you know, a first tier lender who are giving them two to three percent interest rate. So it saves them tens of thousands of dollars just from the the advice we've given them up front. So there's so many different stories like that out there. Wow, that's massive. And I'm guessing. 
because I've seen this and I'm, I'm assuming you have where getting that credit report actually makes a difference because sometimes I've had clients that have defaults. They didn't even realize they had them there and it Correct. could be from an ex-partner or just from something they thought they had paid five years ago or actually had paid five, 10 years ago, you know, where maybe not 10 years ago, um, if it's not affecting them at the moment, but yeah, yeah like something where they think they've paid it before um, where yeah, it just pops up in this report. So that's right. Yeah, Happens all so the powerful. time. I see it all the time, especially repayments now. So um, what they've brought out uh, the lenders is now they're looking at um, credit reporting um, in regards to repayments as well. Um, so they're looking at are people making their repayments on their current liabilities now. So if you are late on your repayments more than fourteen days it will be showing on your credit report. So that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of. So um, I'm seeing you're 14 days late on your credit, on your liability repayments. The credit report will show a one on your file. So that one means you're 14 days late. When it's 30 days late, it goes to a two. So the, the longer and longer you are late and you don't make that repayment, it's putting these marks on your credit file, which is affecting your credit score. So banks are now looking at credit reporting, you know, much more than they ever have. And this is where I'm finding people are getting caught out. Now, there are some lenders that haven't switched over to, uh, to doing this comprehensive credit reporting. And um, so there are ways around it, but I don't, can't tell you how long that will be. But right now in the, in the current market, we can come up with, for, with a solution for you. Yeah. Okay. And I think we'll, uh, we'll, I think one of our episodes coming up, I think we probably will do one on credit reports and how they work and um, how to get a free credit report because um, it, it is something, you know, financially speaking, it, it, I think it is a good practice to always be on top of what your score is looking like and, yep. um, you know, your credit rating. Finishing off, Jono, one of the last questions I want to ask you is what would you say is the biggest tip that you would give somebody that's looking to buy a house, whether it's for the first time, um, or the second or third time, what would so, you what what tip would you give? So I would say make sure you speak to a mortgage broker before actually going ahead um, with making a purchase. So yep. do your research, get the information upfront, and um, don't just assume you know what the banks are looking for because I'm I can tell you now that this is forever changing. So my number one tip is get advice from the mortgage broker before making a decision, even if it's you know, something you want to do 12 months later, get that information up front so you can have a strategy in place to achieve your goal. Sweet. Love it. Love it. If anybody wants to contact you, what would you say the best way to do it is? I would say just to contact me directly on my mobile number. So that's 0423-408-954. Or you can Google me and you should see my contact details there. So yeah. Sweet. Thank you. And lastly, um, just to... uh, you know, as far as this, this is a podcast designed to help couples out and families. Being a dad, I thought I'd drop a dad joke of the day myself. Um, why did the tomato blush? Why? Because it saw the salad dressing. I love it. I've heard that one, but I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it heaps. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for joining us on Sharing More Than The Sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.